It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt Welcome to Angry Typewriter, a podcast about writing and the writing life. I'm Paul, and today's episode is actually a crossover from my other podcast, Bookish, which is about all things literary. I'm doing a crossover partly because the topics that I covered in a recent Sunday Ramble episode fit well with the writing life, and partly, in all honesty, so you'll get to know my other podcast as well. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be discussing two things important to writers today, critics and political correctness. And I'll come back at the end with some closing thoughts. possible for me to talk about critics, especially literary critics, without mentioning a quote from a man who was hounded by critics from the publication of his first work to 50 years after his death, Ernest Hemingway. Hemingway had this to say about critics. Critics are men who watch a battle from a high place, then come down and shoot the survivors. I think you'll find a lot of creative people feel that way about critics, whether they be musicians, artists, writers, or whatever. Obviously, sometimes a negative review is justified, but a lot of times it's not. And a lot of times, even a negative one could be done less harshly than it is. There is obviously a place for negative reviews. I mean, it warns off the public on something that's just really not that good when it's well-written and justified. And I know from a personal standpoint, negative reviews have been instrumental in helping my books, especially my first book, The Last Word. You may wonder why that is. Well, in the age of Amazon, the worst thing you can have is nothing but positive reviews on the website. Because if that's the case people automatically assume that it's only your family leaving reviews. Because, let's face it, not everybody is ever going to like everything. So you want some one-star reviews in there just to show that it's legitimate. 
My favorite was the one that called the last word, The Seinfeld of Novels, A Book About Nothing. You can compare me to Seinfeld all day long and I'll be happy. Anyway, I break down critics, critics of all kinds, into three different categories. The good, the bad, and the trolls. And let's take a look at each one of those. You have good critics that are good because they've done it. Those that are good because they love it. And those that are good because they earned it. What the heck does that mean? Well, in the good because they've done it, you have literary critics like Lev Grossman, who writes many literary reviews. And he's also the author of books such as Ex Libris and the Magician series. He's good because he knows how to write. Stephen King is an excellent critic, especially of horror, for obvious reasons. In the film arena, Kevin Smith, while it may seem crazy given who Kevin Smith is, is an excellent critic of things like the Marvel movies because not only does he love them, but he's a filmmaker. Then you have those who are good critics because they love the subject that they're writing about, that they're reviewing. One of the first that comes to mind for me is Nicholas Basbanes, who was a literary critic for 20 plus years writing a weekly column on books, and who's also after that become a fairly prolific writer of books about books. He loves his subject, and he knows how to write about it. You get that in the music world with critics like Ben Fong Torres and Lester Bangs. They lived and breathed music, and they knew how to critically review it. For the last of the good category of reviewers, some authors might disagree with me, but I think, for example, on Amazon, anyone who has a verified purchase check by their name is a worthy reviewer whether they can string two sentences together or not. And I believe that because they paid for the book. They paid for the book, they read it, they commented on it. When they exchanged their money for that book, they earned the right to say what they want to say about it. It's an implicit contract that the author enters into with the buyer. And like it or not, it's a fact. Same thing applies to film. I am far more likely to pay attention to a review on Rotten Tomatoes by a moviegoer who paid their, paid their money for their ticket and watched the film than I am for some professional reviewer who was actually paid to go see the film. That leads us into the bad category. For me, the bad category is pretty much made up of two types of people, two types of reviewers, two types of critics both of whom I believe are fighting a severe inferiority complex. You have those reviewers who, as I mentioned earlier, are paid to go and do the reviews. They have nothing invested in it. It's their job. And a lot of times they treat it like a job. And a lot of them are bitter about their job. So they do hack jobs. Many of them, whether they'll admit it or not, hold grudges against particular artists. Maybe they got snubbed at a cocktail party by Brett Easton Ellis, and from that point on, did nothing but write negative reviews about everything he published. That's just not professional, 
and it's not helpful. The second, and probably far more common type of reviewer, is the critic who wanted to do what he's reviewing, but didn't have the drive, the endurance, or the talent to do so. I think you find this far more often in the literary arena than you do in music and movies, because I think there are far more failed novelists out there than there are failed musicians or failed actors. There are just a plethora of literary reviewers out there who weren't committed enough, talented enough, whatever, to stick with their craft and produce something, to create something, who simply moved on to tearing down someone else's work. As the late Sam Rayburn, Speaker of the House, once said, any jackass can kick down a barn door, but it takes a carpenter to build one. And a lot of literary critics are unbelievably jealous of literary carpenters. You can tell pretty easily the ones that fall into this category because in their reviews they love to quote obscure French authors or odd literary movements or you know anything that your average person has never heard of but that they think from their various college classes makes them sound intellectual. Look out for the intellectuals my friends. They spend far more time ruminating on what a poor job someone else did than they do on trying to do a good job themselves. I mentioned college classes and it's pretty well known that every literature professor at every college wants to be a novelist. And the ones that end up not being love to write negative reviews of other people's work. If you see a review, good or bad, from a sitting professor, be wary of it. It might be good simply because they're trying to boost a friend and it might be bad simply because they wish they had written it. Finally, we have the trolls. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because the name is pretty self-explanatory. But especially on the internet today, there are trolls everywhere. People who love to write reviews of things they've never read, never seen, never listened to, just because, well, they're jackasses, and they want attention, and they hate their lives, and they have the benefit of anonymity in which to do it. But trolls are not confined just to the internet. There is a type of troll that's maybe less common, but equally damaging, especially when it comes to books. I'll give you a personal example from when I was a bookseller. I had a lady come into the store and I was suggesting various books to her. And one of the ones that I suggested was the Harry Potter series. She immediately dismissed it and said that it was terrible and that she would never, never read it. And I said, never read it. So you haven't read it, but you can say it's terrible. And she said, yes said, how do you know it's terrible if you've never read it? And her response was, I just know. Now, my friends, that is a troll, if ever I met one. And the problem is, if a friend of hers asks about the Harry Potter series, she's very likely to tell them, oh, it's terrible, without actually adding 
even though I've never read it. So watch out for those trolls as well. So that's my rant on critics. When we come back, I want to talk about a little bit of political correctness run amok. Stay tuned. Calling this segment of the Sunday Ramble, Political Correctness Run Amok, mainly because I can't think of a better way to describe it. It's not going to be very long, but there are a couple things that I just have to address that I've seen recently that make me nuts. The first came to my attention mainly because it involves my beloved Hemingway. All of you who listen to this podcast know that I love Hemingway, so maybe I'm a little bit biased about this, but I don't think so. Now, it's very in vogue these days to judge everything in the past totally through the lens of our far more enlightened 21st century values, which actually has pretty much happened in most generations. Each generation thinks that they're smarter, wiser, whatever, of the ones that came before. So it's not a surprise that this would seep into the literary world as well. There's been a spate of recent reviews not just of Hemingway, but particularly of Hemingway, just slamming his work as everything from misogynistic to homophobic to whatever, based on our current view of the world. Now, ignoring for a minute whether that current view is correct or not, the idea of judging someone who was writing in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, on the values and societal norms of 2019 is not only unfair, it's insane. And it actually ties in quite well with the whole bad critic theme of the previous segment. Because what you have in a lot of these reviews are either people who know they'll never be as good as Hemingway or people who are just looking for clickbait because they know that anything written about Hemingway will get views. And the more sensational, especially in our current times, the better. If you're looking for good reviews of Hemingway's work, look at the reviews that were written when it first came out. Some will be good, some will be bad, but none of them will be tainted by our current way of looking at the world or, in fairness, by the blind idolization of him that people like me sometimes have. The second political correctness run amok issue falls kind of in the same vein, but it's a little different. I recently saw a tweet that went viral from an author who claims to be award-winning, although the award was something like the West Topeka Best Writer of March Award, rather than, say, a Newberry or a Pulitzer, but that's neither here nor there. And she was lamenting the fact Actually, it was more of a tirade than a lament. But she was lamenting the fact that on a recent trip to Barnes & Noble, she noticed that their science fiction and fantasy section had far more Tolkien than it did anything else. Why were there four copies of The Lord of the Rings and 15 copies of The Hobbit when her book wasn't there at all? 
Why was the science fiction section dedicated to nothing but dead white men like Asimov and Heinlein and Tolkien? It was a vast conspiracy designed to keep writers of color and women writers and LBGT writers and everyone else down. Well, I have a couple responses to her and I'm not going to name her because I'm not going to give her the publicity that she was seeking. It is true, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that publishing has, from its very beginning, been dominated by white men. And that's true in a lot of arenas. And it's been particularly true in science fiction and fantasy. That started to change in recent years, however, and a lot more female writers, writers of color, LGBT writers, have been getting the recognition they deserve. The important thing is that good writers get the recognition they deserve, regardless of what category they happen to fall into. It's only in recent times that we care about that. What we always cared about before was a good story. And although I've never read, and likely never will read, this woman's supposed award-winning book, I can bet that it's not as good as anything that Tolkien wrote, or Asimov, or Heinlein, or any number of recent writers for that matter. Otherwise, she wouldn't take to Twitter to complain that her books aren't there. Her books aren't there, or book, because I think she's written one, because apparently Barnes & Noble has decided it won't sell. And bookstores are in the business of selling books. There's a shelf full of Tolkien books because they sell, because people want to read them, because people have been reading them for 50 years. That's why they're there. Now, can it be hard for a new author to break in? Sure, but don't sit there crying about it on Twitter. Don't claim that it's the man trying to keep you down. Go out and keep writing, keep promoting, and get the word out. Pay your dues like every other successful author before you. I mean, I'm not thrilled that my books aren't on the shelves of every single bookstore and library in the world, but I'm not going to sit around complaining about it. I'm going to do what I can to see that someday that's not true anymore. In 1964, every American musician could have sat around crying that the British invasion with the Beatles and Herman's Hermits and the Rolling Stones was completely unfair and that the British were being you know, preferred and all that other garbage. But they didn't. They just kept playing and the pendulum swung back around. Just keep at your craft and things will work out. So I hope you enjoyed this crossover episode from the Bookish Podcast, and that you'll check it out on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. I hope it gave you some things to think about as a writer, and we'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Keep on writing. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Angry Typewriter. I hope it's been both informative and entertaining, especially for you writers out there. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'd also consider clicking on the support this podcast link 
on the Anchor site. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep these episodes coming. And it will also go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.